1: Yo, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, really, really, really wanna zig a zig.
2: Ah, that was uncomfortable. I feel dirty welcome everybody thank you so much for joining us on thoughts that rock it is the podcast that is about exchanging two pieces of life-changing advice
1: we try and do that in about 30 minutes so listen we know how life can get crazy oh yeah and sometimes you know grabbing those little crackers of wisdom you know we like to think of ourselves as the ritz of wisdom here at thoughts that rock uh it's tough it's tough to come by so whether you're trying on spanks or you are, you know, practicing your serve, or maybe, I don't know, you're moseying along an equestrian trail, uh, we just want to be the 30 minutes that you look forward to each and every week. And
2: I think, you know, if you've listened to the show that Thoughts at Rock helps support Cannonball Kids Cancer, which is an awesome nonprofit yep. focused on providing options to kids with cancer. Who basically have been told that they have run out of options. And the cool thing that CKC does, they help identify innovative options and then they provide the funding necessary for that treatment. So we love them because they provide hope to the hopeless.
1: Yeah. Just a quick reminder, listen, whatever format you are using to listen to this podcast, whether that's Himalaya or it's iTunes or perhaps it's, uh, I don't know, VHS or Betamax, whatever it is, we would love it if you would give us a review. Take a moment, maybe give us a few stars if you think we're worthy. But more importantly, that written review, uh, those comments actually help us get in front of the eyeballs that we want to be in front of so we can grow the show and help support CKC. For sure. Yeah. So listen, whatever we need to do to encourage you to do that, Oh no, you just need to let us know because when you hear this music... I know. I know what's going on. My socks are on. And yeah. you know what socks I'm wearing, James?
2: <laughs> are those the blow-off kind? I don't know. <laughs> what? No.
1: They're the business socks. Oh, they're
2: business socks. Cause Cause I know what that means. Business time! Oh man, our guest today is a rock star friend of mine. She's a trailblazer in every sense of the word. It's Molly Fletcher, who is an extremely popular keynote speaker. I I think she's the the master of storytelling. She's an accomplished author. She's got uh, at least four books. She might have another one that, that I don't know about. And uh, was initially one of the world's first female sports agents. I know that a, a lot of people know her probably initially like that. I think commonly referred to as the uh, female Jerry Maguire. Molly, welcome to Thoughts at Rock. We're so excited you're here.
0: No, um, it's awesome to be with you You guys. are great friends, and it's a pleasure. It's an honor.
2: Well, we've been a fan of yours for a long time, and I know you and I have gone back uh, probably since our industry conference days and, of course, <laughs> just watching you do your thing on stage on, on the speaking circuit. And, you know, we, we always say that, uh, you know, there are some people that we have on the show that have a rich history, and uh, yours is certainly robust. And, and, fans, if you're interested at all in doing a little bit more of a deeper dive. You can see Molly's entire bio in the show notes, but Brant, I just wanted to highlight a couple things. I thought that would be cool to wet your whistle before we get going here. First off, you know, she had her own company. She was president of client representation for CSC, which is the, the sports and entertainment agency. And she did that for about two decades, but I love this. She represented Hundreds of sports' biggest names, including some of your your uh, yeah. uh, heroes, you know, Hall of Fame uh, pitcher John Smoltz, um, you know, Brant, you know, was also a, a pitcher, an aspiring one back in the day. She represented ESPN sportscaster Aaron Andrews and and basketball coach Doc Rivers, and the list goes on. And I love that Molly sits on a lot of influential boards, including the Boys and Girls Club of America and the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, and now. She obviously has her own company. She's got this killer rock star team, and it's just a, a, a positive light teaching leadership around the world. And she's got a podcast, and we can talk about that too. But uh, we're just so thrilled, Molly, that you're here. And um, you know, we probably talked about this if you've listened to the show. It's just a little bit different here. We're not going to go through the whole background, but um, we definitely wanted to get right to your awesome piece of advice. So, Molly, the floor is open. What is your thought that rocks?
0: my big thought and i was feeling some pressure here Uh-oh. by the way guys on this one because <laughs> i i've received some great uh, advice over the years i you know what what i wanted to share is that negotiation is just a conversation and hmm. i think oftentimes the world use negotiation as this process by which you get really on the opposite sides of the table with people and you go back and forth and and that it can be something and often it's something that people fear that it's this transactional sort of thing and and to me negotiation is a conversation it's about connection Mm -hmm. and I think it's one of the most important leadership skills that any of us can develop because when you think about leadership you think about you know creating influence and and so it's a conversation. And I think that's the gap that exists in the world as they view it as something that, that is something other than that. When, when really, if we can keep the conversation going, this is what I found certainly as 20 years as a sports agent, the longer I kept the conversation going, the more that I connected, the more productive the deal often was for, for myself and even for the people that we were dealing with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an, it's such a great thought. First of all, it scares so many people, right? Or they, or they think of themselves as a bad negotiator. Um, but I think that's because they often think that, as you said, they, they sort of have to take an uh, opposition to whatever is, is happening, mm-hmm. and, and they don't think of it as, as a conversation. But in reality, the longer that you keep somebody engaged in conversation, the longer you have to reveal some of the context behind what each side is trying to accomplish, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And I think, it, you know, people often say, hey, can I, can I learn to be a better negotiator? Right. Or is it just something that I'm born with? And, and I, I think it comes with practice. You know, I think it's like everything in life. And, you know, the more that you sort of get out there and practice in little moments, the stronger you get, you know, in the bigger moments, the yeah. more comfortable you get in the bigger moments. And so I always advise people to, to practice in little moments, you know, practice at Starbucks, practice at the dry cleaners, practice right. with your yard guys, right? Like practice. And then when you're negotiating a 10, 20, hundred million dollar deal, you, you've done it in smaller moments. And at least I saw this with athletes all the time, right? That, you know, the world saw with athletes, the big moments, you know, game seven of a world series, a putt on Sunday to win a championship. I saw all the little moments and, and, and I believe it's similar in negotiation. The more little moments you create and you practice, the more confident you become and, 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 and the better you get, of course, at having these conversations, these kinds of conversations.
1: So you'll, you'll be, uh, Uh, I think you'll find this interesting, Molly. So part of my background uh, before music, uh, I was in the commercial collections world, and I was the vice president of business development for the largest commercial collection agency in the world. And I spent uh, the better part of a decade uh, doing that, and and one of the big things that that we would talk about is we negotiated debt, right? So ring business to business <laughs> debt. That's what we did. But so here's here's what I love about this, and I know, I mean, in, in all of your talk, and, and listen, uh, you know, Molly is a uh, one of the true leadership thought leaders yeah. uh, that's out there, and so it's like. When I read her books and I watch her talks and I know what she's she's really pushing forth. So in, in that world, in the collections world, it's all about getting paid, right? And mm-hmm. And so it's not that the debtor doesn't have enough money to pay your bill it's that he doesn't have enough money to pay all the bills and so how do you put your client in the best position to get what they need and so one of the interesting things and this is really where i think some of the it goes off the rails a little bit is that we're so focused on the hard close right so Mm -hmm. when you're negotiating it's this idea that you know, you're working them up to hit them with the clothes, to close the deal, to be able to walk mm-hmm. out. And so in that world, we used to have these preset closes and we had a whole book of them yeah. that we could use depending on the situation that we found ourselves in. And one of my favorite ones, and this is one that I came up with, and, and this is back way before, uh, the music stuff, Jim. So you'll have to know that this was like hardcore, all Brandt cared yes. about was getting paid. Right. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, we used to have this deal where, where someone was thinking about using our organization or somebody else. And I would say this always, I'd go, Jim, it looks to me like, a, or at least it sounds like you're in the mood for a hamburger and you don't know if you want McDonald's or Burger King, right? And they would go, oh, yeah, yeah. And I would go, oh, well, of course, they both got great burgers. I mean, one's got a sesame seed bun, the other, I mean, I get, there's a lot. There's a, they, We share a lot in similar, but there are a few differences, right? And they'd go, yeah, yeah. And I'd go, yeah. I mean, one of them has a spokesperson that's a clown and the other one has a king. So are you ready to have it your way or not, right? And so <laughs> it was this heavy-handed, hardcore clown because. And they would snicker and laugh and hopefully give me the deal, right? But it was this idea of you, you, you want to set up the dominoes yeah. just to knock them down. And and what Molly's suggesting is, it's just a conversation. Yeah, exactly, it's <laughs> exactly
2: the
0: opposite right. of that. It's just right. a conversation. And by the way, like what you did is great. I mean, you weren't afraid to have a little bit of fun, right? right? Because at the end of the day, I think sometimes people forget these are people, like these are human beings. <laughs> Right. That wake up every day and probably do decide whether they're going to go to McDonald's or Burger King. So you're just connecting in a pretty real and normal way. And Yo. one of the things that we teach, we, we have workshops where we train people in in this process and, and we teach them, which is what you just sort of emulated. Right. Is to ask for what you want with confidence. Right. I think tone is a big deal. When yeah. you ask yeah. for what you want. I mean there's a big difference in sort of asking and you know the, these <laughs> words like i think and what about and maybe we could, you know versus right you know the example that you used. I mean you said yeah. it with a lot of confidence so yeah. The way in which we ask and the timing by which we do it matters, for so,
1: sure. Sort of like how we asked you to be on this podcast. Yes. You know, Molly, if you, if you think, if you could, maybe, if you would have some time. Actually, Molly, you've got
2: to tell the story. That's so, why
0: it took us four months to do it. Like
2: yes, yes. We, we, beat it. Her. We, we beat her. We needed more tone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Molly, you, so you're talking about confidence also. You should tell the story, if you can, about, uh, I, I remember correctly, when you were going to teach tennis lessons uh, in exchange for rent, right? <laughs> And, and that sure. was part of a negotiation, but you did it with uh with, with the conversational style
0: sure for sure yeah no I'm a big proponent of you know when we're negotiating using curiosity uh you know to overcome disconnects right so so get really curious about what matters most to the people that you're negotiating with or, or having these conversations with right so you know what matters yeah um but yeah Jim your story I mean the story so i I graduated from Michigan state where I played tennis and I, I looked at my mom, and I grew up in East Lansing, um, and then went to Michigan State, right? I was such a big girl, I went two miles away to college. <laughs> and uh, after I graduated, I said, my mom and dad and I were really close, and I said, look, I think I want to move to Atlanta, because the Super Bowl's coming, the Olympics, is there's all this, you know, sports sort of in Atlanta happening, a couple pro teams, college teams, and my parents are awesome, but they said, look, Molly, I mean, how are you going to pay for your little <laughs> trip to find your dream job, uh, you know, 700 miles away? What's that going to look like? And I said, well, I'll I'll teach tennis here in town and I'll save some money and I'll go down there and and see if I can find a job. And one of my, one of my girlfriends from high school was living in a little one bedroom apartment in Atlanta. So long story short, I get down to Atlanta, you know, I teach tennis all summer. I save 2000 (laughs) bucks, you know, I'm leaving my house where my, where I grew up. And I, I remember, it's sort of funny. I look up at the top of the driveway and my mom and dad are standing up there and my mom starts tearing up because, you know, I mean, we are, I'm the youngest child, her only daughter. Right. And she's thinking, what's going on? You know, she's going all the way to Atlanta and, and she starts tearing up and my dad looks at her and I could read his lips. I mean, he said, honey, are you kidding? He said, she's going to be back here in two weeks. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> like, what are you worried about? I mean, this is no big deal so anyway i get down to atlanta i had three names of people that taught tennis in atlanta and um from a friend of mine in michigan my tennis coach actually and so i pick up the phone the first morning and called this tennis pro. i'm staying in my you know i'd woke up on my friend's couch in this 600 square foot apartment and and so i get on the phone with this guy and he was really nice and as we're talking he said like you play tennis said, yeah and he said you taught i said yes and he said you know Molly, tennis is a big deal in Atlanta. Like it, people teach tennis at their apartment complexes for a little bit off their rent every month. And I remember being like, what What do you, what do you mean? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm at 1700 now. So what's the, what are you talking about? So he said, no, like, I mean, that's what I mean. They teach. And then the property, they just teach one day a week and the property will give them like a couple hundred bucks off every month. And I said, dude, I got to find a deal like that. And so as we started talking, he was so nice. And and then he shared with me that a buddy of his had gotten engaged and was moving out of his apartment where he teaches tennis and that pro they're going to need a tennis pro. But he said that manager probably doesn't even know that this is about to happen. You ought to go over there. So fast forward, I go over there, I introduce myself to the manager, I start talking to her, I start connecting with her. And, you know, she didn't know anything the first time I went over and she said, you know, we're, we're really good. Appreciate you coming by. But you know, I, we have this pro, he's amazing. He's been here forever. Everybody loves him. And Oh, of course, I thought she has no idea. So I leave. And and so to your point, Jim, I, I drive across the street, and I see this pizza place that's, you know, really, I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know, brand, it's probably like my, you know, I don't know, nine iron away. And you're, right. you know, six iron, maybe <laughs> and you're six iron, your five <laughs> iron, something like that. So I see this place. And I think God, they got to sell pizza to this property, because it's so close, you know, it feels like they should. So I go in, and uh, it's called Perro's Pizza. It's kind of mom-and-pop-ish, and I go in, and, and I asked the owner, I said, you know, do you sell pizza across the street? He said, yeah, I mean, a little bit, I guess, but, and I said, well, gosh, I mean, what if you gave me, like, 15 or 20 pizzas for free once a month? I gave them to people that came to the tennis clinic, got them excited about this, you know, Perro's Pizza, and if you'd let me, I'd take a coupon from Perro's, put it in the newsletter, drive traffic back to Perro, like, everybody could win, Smart. he said, yeah. Molly, I love this idea. And I said, okay, cool. But I don't have a deal over there yet, man. I'm close, (laughs) but hang tight on this idea. I'll be back.
2: Work (laughs) at both sides. Love it. So
0: (laughs) I go back, I go back to my uh, friends apartment. I call my buddy at Wilson Sporting Goods. who gave me tennis rackets and gear in college and asked him to send down a box of gear goodies that I could give away to the, to the people at the clinics and show the manager. And, then I printed these tennis tips and that I'd written for a magazine in Lansing. So the next morning, the next day I get my box of stuff. I drive over to the property, I walked in and with my box of stuff and my tennis tips and Long story short, I said to the manager, she goes, she, and I walked in, she was just flabbergasted. And she said, you are not going to believe what you of happened. Course. she said, that. And I'm standing Perfect. there like, you got to be kidding me. This is amazing. Like, what? wow. <laughs> and she said, yeah, the tennis pro came in. He's leaving. We're going to need a tennis pro. And I said, well, that's, I mean, God, I was just coming by actually to drop off this stuff from Wilson and these tennis tips and, So fast forward, I said, well, how did, you know, what was the deal? How did it work? And she said, we get 500 bucks off the rent every month, the rent. And I said, how much is the rent? She said, 850. And I said, oh, okay. And then I told her about this pizza thing. And I said, you know, I mean, you know, so I said this whole, like, you know, write a check for 350 for the difference at the beginning of the month. She said that he did. I said, the 500, the 850. I said, wouldn't it just be cleaner if we just waived it? (laughs) You know, we just waived it. I could move in. We could keep this momentum going from the program. And she, I mean, literally she was like, uh, what? Uh, what yeah <laughs> and uh so she goes back calls them calls her boss comes back out and says you're good to go and so I lived in this little apartment complex for free and taught tennis for nine years for free I mean that I was, wow is awesome <laughs> that is so awesome. it was that well you know I it, it was it was a fun sereno gym you've heard that before and and to me it was it's about getting curious it's about you know closing gaps right like to me it was about You know, there's so many ways in life, I think, that we can add value to people that we want to connect with. And I think it's sometimes counterintuitive in negotiation, for example, to think about adding value to the relationship. But the truth is, when we do that, I think we drive connection. When we connect, we can keep the conversation going, etc. So, Um, you know, to me, it's it's, that curiosity piece is a big part of of coming in strong inside of these conversations. Knowing what matters most to the other people is something I think people miss in negotiation. They worry about what they want too much and less about what really matters most to the people that you're having these conversations with.
1: Yeah.
2: And, you know, unlike, I, I think in your world, and, and again, you're dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars on some of these sports contracts and even Brant's world in the collection agency, I had to do this, but mm-hmm. on a much smaller scale at Hard Rock. And it's easier when you've got a company owned business and you're opening a company owned cafe or a hotel or whatever it is, you know, you can make things happen easily, but when you're dealing with a joint venture or a franchise location, it's different. We have no, Power at all. I mean, there's no, you must do it this way. It's all impact and influence and throwing your arms around your buddy and trying to show them the way. And hey, if you look at the way we're doing it, you'll be in a much better place than doing it on your own. And so I think having those conversations, to your point, are are critical. And, you know, I I had heard before that, um, you know, Nelson Mandela, I, I guess Harvard Law School had named him like one of the best. You know, in history when it comes to negotiation, because you, know, you think about this guy who was in prison, imprisoned, I think for almost like 30 years. Right. But somehow he had the ability, to your point, to articulate the other person's position so clear that it felt mm-hmm. like, you know, he was walking in their shoes. And so even though he had been in prison for life, I, heard, I hear these stories all the time that, you know, he had this calm demeanor, calm conversations, um, didn't make it a negotiation tactic that eventually... He he got things like long pants when he was in jail, which was a big deal because everybody had shorts at the time. They all had mm-hmm. one blanket in South Africa in jail, you know, but he was able to get multiple ones. The, the guards who basically had all of the power back then actually built a tennis court for him and his fellow prisoners just to sort of keep the uh, tennis analogy going. And, you know, again, I look mm-hmm. at this guy who comes out of it and because of the way that he is. He he helped legitimize, I think, the opposition by creating some authentic dialogue and understanding mm-hmm. and almost representing their position to the extent that people are like, yeah, not, not that bad of a guy. And he gets out and you know becomes president of the entire country. So I
0: sure. think to your
2: point, if you try and beat people down and only see it your way, and I know you've got so much training and experience on this and you do this now for other people. I, I think that conversational approach, if they just had that resonating in the back of their head, they'd be in a pretty good place. Just be like Nelson Mandela or Molly Fletcher. <laughs> that's it. That, that's, I guess that's the takeaway. It's all
0: order it. to be like Nelson Mandela. <laughs> yeah, you're out there. World. But, you know, it, it, but it's interesting because, you know, I think everybody listening probably knows somebody that they negotiate with or have to have difficult conversations with who they think is really, really difficult. Yeah. Right. And and, and that scenario you just described with Nelson Mandela, I mean, that that is a very difficult situation to go get some of those things that, that he wanted. Right. And certainly to have somebody build you a tennis court. Yes. <laughs> That's incredible. So, but I, you know, one of the things that we have learned and the data shows is that people show up in negotiation in four sort of different ways, right? They're either super financially focused, they're super strategic, they're real logistical or they're real relational, right? Like they're either tend to sort of live, you know, they have a lot of all four of those, but they tend to sort of sit inside of one or two of those more than more than the other two. And mm-hmm. I remember I was negotiating a general man with a general manager for a big league baseball players contract. And I oh, and every time I dealt with this guy, I mean, I just thought he was such a jerk. Right. And one of the things that I've learned is I, I actually I don't think he was he was just different from me. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean he's he's a, he, he was just difficult because he was different. And so had I done a better job of understanding does he show up financially, relationally, strategically, how does he show up and then how do I adapt my style in a a, a way that's uh, authentic, however delivering the kind of information that matters most to him, all of that drives connection. It does. So I think it's really important to understand you know, how how do you show up inside of these conversations? You know, what, which one of those four buckets are you in and, and, and who are the people you're negotiating with? How are they showing up? And then how do you adapt to drive connection? I love that. Uh, I love it. To me is important. Yeah, it's important. That really helps me
1: reframe how I feel about Jim, because typically I just (laughs) think he's a jerk. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: Jim Jim uh, is is very relational. Thank you. Yeah, you're very relational, relational, Jim, and you're you're pretty. I would say you're relational. You're strategic.
2: Thank you. I'm in I'm in one of the other buckets than you, believe, Brant. Yes. Yeah.
0: Where are you, (laughs) Brant? Oh,
1: be honest. He really is in the Uber. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, So I am very uh, direct and to the point. Most of the time I find that I'm going to use the, the least amount of words necessary. Uh, so although I will tell you that that I do feel like I'm relational as well. So there's the uh, sort of the empathy yeah. part for me allowed me to, to pastor a church for a number of years, but at the same mm, okay. time that sort of... I I just want to win I'm like so competitive that I just all I care about is winning which is why you made so much money in the collection it's true it's true and and, um, you know as I've gotten older I've had to find the balance right because it it, um, it, you know as you start as you start to learn a little bit more um, you start to understand that Uh, this negotiation is just a conversation happens in your marriage. It happens with your family. It's, you know, and so uh, I had to start really looking at what was going to make me happy. And um, it wasn't the money. It was more about the the impact, right? What I desired was impact. And so if I can get the impact that I desire and it includes money, great. But if it doesn't, uh, isn't the be all end all, I can still find happiness, which
2: yeah. is, which is why this is probably a perfect transition because the stuff that Molly was just talking about, and it layers on with what you just said, brand, there's gotta be a level of empathy when you can understand that other person's position, right? Molly, you were saying this person just approached it differently, but when you can sure. understand them and, and really get to their heart, then I think you come at even your negotiation at, from a different place. So, Brant, what, what is our uh, Thought That Rocks? Because I think it works perfectly with, uh, with Molly's. Thoughts That Rock, number two.
1: Yeah. So our Thought That Rocks this week comes from uh, my spirit animal, Brene Brown. <laughs> um, yes. She is my.
0: She is mine, too.
1: Oh, uh, She is She's my.
0: Incredible.
1: She is my wolf owl. Yes. Um, and it's this. If we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. And what I love about this, especially on the heels of what you shared, Molly, is um you know, one of the things you talked about was adding value, right? And so we want to enter into these things by adding some value. And part of that value can come from a sense of empathy and understanding of what's happening with the person you're negotiating with. Mm-hmm. And if you care enough to listen, to figure out what matters most to them, rather than what you're trying to accomplish, um, mm-hmm. then oftentimes that shame piece can be averted. And I would have guess you'd agree that shame is often what can kill a negotiation, right? So mm-hmm. if they sure. if they feel like they're losing, if they feel like they didn't do a good enough job to represent their client well enough, um, you start factoring in all that shame. And so if you start to listen to what matters most to them, you really get the best of both worlds, right?
0: Absolutely. No question. I mean, I think, yes. I mean, in, you know, I sort of abbreviated that story of that apartment, but you know, to me, it was understanding what is she most worried about? And, mm-hmm. and, and obviously she's worried about occupancy. She's worried about making sure that she is filling those apartments and gathering rent right mm-hmm. for the for the owners. And so if you can help close, if I could help close that gap for her, even in ways she's not even thought of herself, that that that's incredibly you know, powerful. But I absolutely believe it's about getting in the heads and the hearts Yeah, Um, you know, through, through empathy, um, and understanding curiosity, all those things, um, to me drive connection. And when you were in the collection business, I I don't know, you know, did you see that work? I mean, what were the things, I mean, that's, that's a difficult negotiation for sure.
1: Yeah, it Um, is. Did you
0: use curiosity a lot and, and, uh, I mean, to, to drive connection, what did you find worked?
1: So I think it's, uh, uh, when someone is in, so first of all, let me say this: I dealt with the clients, right? So, so I didn't deal with the debtor side, but, but for me, with the clients, um, we would make sure that that communication was key, right? So, what we found, and this is this was honestly probably the biggest learn for me in almost a decade in that in that industry, which was clients want you to collect their money, but more than that, they want to know what's going on with their money, and so. Even if we were unsuccessful, but they felt that the transparency was there to know what was going on every step of the way, they were happy. Mm -hmm. Now, there were Mm -hmm. other clients that I could have collected everything for, but if the communication was bad, it felt bad. It it felt bad to them. It felt bad to us and the -hmm. the relationship um, wouldn't survive. And so they'd end up taking their business elsewhere. Mm. But with the debtors, when you, when you looked at sort of what was going on in their life, obviously they're going through some really difficult times. That's why they don't have the money. And so what we would find in the collections business is when business was good, when business was good, um, they didn't have enough money oftentimes to pay for what they had because they were leveraging it in some way, shape or form. So they're taking it now. Things are going really well, but they're leveraging everything they have to try to take it further. And, when business is bad, they couldn't pay for what they already had. And so it was like you had to listen to them so that they felt like they could get it off their chest as to what the situation really was. Here's why I can't pay. And and where we found success is to basically say, God, that sucks. We are so mm-hmm. sorry that you're having to go through this right now. And I can't even imagine what that's like with every single person holding their hand out um, to try to get their piece of the pie. But you know, for us, for me, for my client, you know, here's what's happening with them. Here's the situation they're in. And if you don't pay that bill, what's going to happen to them is this. And so we tried to shine some light to say, we have empathy for what's happening to you, but you need to have empathy for what's going to happen to my client. If you don't pay the bill, Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to, I don't care what's going on with you. All I want is the money. And if you don't pay, I'm gonna be the biggest pain in the ass you've ever seen. <laughs> right. And I will call you every day. I will call your parents. I will tell them you're a disappointment <laughs> if you do not pay the bill.
2: This is why he scares me. Yeah.
1: And so that's yeah. that doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't No, it work.
0: doesn't. It doesn't. I always laugh absolutely. I mean I think transparency, clarity. Those are powerful words inside of these kinds of conversations. I always laugh at people when they get frustrated because like, you know, their cable goes out. Right. Yes. And so they call the cable company and they go berserk. And I'm like, do you think the guy on the other end of the phone or the lady that wants to help you right now? Like they hate you. They want to hang up on you. They don't want to help you like get them to like you enough to help you. Yeah. And, and to sort of feel that. And, and, You know, I think it's always so important inside of these kinds of conversations. I think this is an interesting thing that people we we me and, you know, included, you know, you lose sight of as you're inside of these conversations and you, you know, forget what you want. Uh Right. You're just having this conversation and you're not even really clear. What do I even want? What is does success look like at the end of this conversation? And then how do I anchor my behavior against what I really want most? If what I want most is my cable to be on, then what are the kinds of behaviors that are going to allow this person to go to bat for me and help make this happen? Right. Or whatever the situation yeah. might be. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting what you say about sort of that transparency component and, 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 and understanding and that they just want the truth. And I saw that with my coaches and my athletes. Mm-hmm. If, if I had a baseball player who's a free agent or a coach that was looking at another job or a broadcaster that wanted more games, if, if they were on TV and, and I would go to the team or the school or the, you know, the, the network for them, obviously that was my role. You know, all of my athletes and coaches and brokers, they wanted the truth. Mm-hmm. Like, tell me the truth. What are they saying? And sometimes those conversations were really hard to have with my clients because the truth was something they never expected. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's what all my coaches, all, you know, and coaches particularly, you know, just tell me the truth. Tell me what these ADs are saying. Tell me what, you know what the networks are saying. Just tell me the truth, and I think, I think we live in a world where that level of authenticity and transparency—if um, we say it and deliver it with uh, kindness, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and love, as I think Brene Brown might say. Uh, you know, again, all that, all, all that sort of powers toward uh, connection. Yeah. And and the and the relationship, and I really have always believed, and Jim knows this, right? That relationships are the the real secret weapon to all of our business success, For building sure. trust, building building connection, building transparency, building building those relationships is is key. And, you know, I speak to it often when I speak because I, I spent, you know, 20 years in a business where there was more agents than athletes to represent. Yeah. So if you couldn't build great, great, powerful relationships, you couldn't get the clients, number one, but you couldn't keep them.
2: Yep, they were on to somebody you know, else. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, these guys come in from ballgames on the road and you know, there's agents standing in the lobbies of hotel rooms trying to take them take them out right to yeah, go hang yeah. out go, go to wherever they, they yeah, go yeah and and that you know so you had to have a solid relationships for them to walk by those guys and take a pass at. At whatever it was that that they were trying to get him to go do a steak dinner, or, you know, sadly, yeah. sometimes a strip club. Yes, yes, yes.
1: <laughs> you know, it's it's a little bit interesting. I think, um, and we see this a lot in the speaker world, um, which you obviously Molly spent a, a huge amount of your time now, sort of in that world of giving keynotes, and you know one of the things that has been super successful for jim and i and what has allowed us to sort of climb the ranks for, for, you know quickly is this idea of of forming a relationship with those that are hiring you and so it's not just about you delivering your content and and checking off a box but it's really about listening with empathy and understanding as to what the goal of their of their event is of their of their mm-hmm. conference right and so sure. one of the things that we've done um is talk to the so so one of the questions that we asked the meeting planners that that to our surprise, hardly any speaker actually does we're giving a, a little bit of our secret sauce away here Jim mm-hmm. that's right uh, um, but uh part of it is this what are you going to do to make this conference last longer than its last day? Yeah. keep the show going? How are you going to keep the conversation going? And the answer to that that we get 95% of the time, crickets, is nothing. (laughs) They have no idea what Mm -hmm. they're going to do because that's not what they're thinking about right now. All they're thinking about is making sure they check off all the boxes so that it's a successful event. But what we Mm -hmm. want them to think about is think about what's possible if you look three weeks down the road, six weeks down the road. Can you find a way to keep the conversation going to increase the impact of what you do here? And for us, we've been able to find different ways to get them to think through what that looks like. So we're solving a problem they don't even know they have yet.
0: Right, but it's a real problem. It is a real problem. Keeping that going is key. How do you solve for that?
1: So here's the interesting part. You know What we want to do is say, have you ever thought about having your CEO on a podcast? And so what we do is we get this organization to be a guest on our podcast and we're able to drive the conversation that happens at the event and reaffirm it three weeks, six weeks later, whenever we decide we want to release that episode, uh, they turn around, take the podcast, send it throughout their entire organization to say, here's the best advice your CEO has ever been given. Don't you want to know what that is? And the Mm, answer, of course, is a resounding yes. And so... It, it's a win-win for Thoughts That Rock. It's a win-win for the conference organizer. It's a win-win for the CEO. And it all came from a simple conversation mm-hmm. to find out what some of those pain points were for the, for the client and suggest mm-hmm. some, some really unique outside-of-the-box solutions to be able to provide that value add that gets them to, to have a successful negotiation. And that's why they end up choosing us over another speaker.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, keeping it alive. You know, I always sort of say when people say, oh, my gosh, you're a motivational speaker. I'm like, I really that to me, I don't. That's not what I want to be known for. to me that feels so intangible. I want to be known as somebody that makes change in every single heart and soul in that room, Uh, you know, and and in an hour, you can maybe make two to three. They take two to three nuggets, right, that they can then go and deploy in their life. And, and and create a little bit of change and a little bit of pivot but when you when you uh, you know when you take 1000 people or 2000 people in a room and if 2000 people make two or three changes for the better Yeah, You know, we're maybe making a lift, which to me is what all of this is all about, right? It's changing behavior to improve the organization in whatever way in which matters most. Exactly.
2: And, you know, it's funny when Brandt's telling this, uh, you know, this scenario doesn't always happen because you were making the point earlier that sometimes we get just to the event planner and they don't they don't there there hasn't been any listening or thought about, you know, uh, how we can make this happen. So there's not a lot of empathy, not a lot of understanding. They're sort of ticking the box. And again, I'm not throwing them under the bus. It's just if you got to the president, the CEO and share that they jump at it when you're doing it through an event planner. It doesn't always happen like that. And, and it reminds me, you know, I um, part, part of Hard Rocks Corporate University, we, started teaching the seven habits of highly effective people. And I bring this up on the show a lot because a lot of those principles really resonated with me. But one thing that was really big, and I think you said this earlier, Molly, about what matters most. There's a there's a habit about listening. And you've got to be able to listen with with understanding, you know, not with the intent to reply. And I know that's a big deal in, in negotiation and it goes all the way back to your thought, but we we've never had any real formal training on listening. If you think about it, right, we, um, writing, of course, all, all through grade school, high school, college speaking. Yeah, we've had some of that listening, not so much. And so you kind of have to go out of your way. And there's a huge difference between hearing and listening. I'm not, I'm not telling you, Molly, I'm telling the audience, you know, empathic listening, having that empathy, truly understanding the other person's side is like the highest form of listening that, that you can have. And so, great storytellers and authentic speakers like yourself, they will use that to deliver a message. And I even remember back in the day, if I was, let's say, running a shift in a restaurant, if I had a guest walking up to me, they're getting my full attention. The place could be burning down. It could be, uh, you know, a, a super, super busy, whatever's going on around me, everybody gets the hand except for the guests. If I'm, you know, texting on, on my phone, my family or my friends walk up that they won't see that phone. Like that thing is hidden because I want to give them my full attention. If I'm in my office and I remember team members would come in that needed something from me at hard rock. I spun around in my chair, no matter what I was doing, it all got on hold. So I think I'm sort of connecting the dots that this listening, which is kind of when I first saw Brant and I were talking about this, Brene Brown quote, the words I picked out were empathy and understanding, but it goes back to your conversation Right. If you can connect the two sure. and go, if you just sat and be still and listen and truly understand the other person, oh my gosh, negotiations would be so much easier and quicker versus trying to beat people over the head and get your own opinion. So I know I said a lot there, sure. but you agree with that, right? Because th- this is what you've Absolutely. been doing for decades.
0: I do. And I think, you know, when we think about empathy and understanding and we think about listening, those are key leadership skills. Yeah. And and I, and I feel like we live in a world where maybe people aren't attaching negotiation skills to a key leadership skill. I mean, I don't know a great leader or, you know, that, that, that isn't a pretty darn good negotiator. Right. right. Yeah. So I think they go hand in hand, but often I don't think the world thinks of leadership training. They don't think of negotiation per se as sort of a, a key component of that. But but to me, it is, and and to your point, Jim, about listening, uh, you know, I think what that backs into is how do we be fully present yeah. inside of these conversations? Because the only way you can really listen is if you're really present. Yeah. If yeah. you, to your point, if you put your phone away, if you really lock in and and you stop sort of multitasking and truly, truly, li- to, truly be present. And, and we live in a world where it's hard to be present. But to yeah. me, being present is it sends a really powerful message. It does. To, to, powerful message to to our families. People can tell.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, Brant, when when I was introducing Molly at the top of the show, I, I called her and I do believe that she's the master of storytelling. And Molly, I wish we, you know, when you tell stories on stage and I love this, she hardly, I don't even know, maybe you've moved to some PowerPoint slides, but I remember you not having any of that imagery. No. It was purely you telling the story and you just had everybody <laughs> riveted for like an hour, hour and a half, whatever it is.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I still am not a slide person, by the way, Jim, that, I don't use very many slides at all. Yeah, no, That's I awesome. Know. Good I'm, for you. I'm not a fan of them um overhead projector
2: (laughs) that's that's where i am (laughs) flip chart and overhead is that bad transparencies
0: bringing to life our age right now
2: man yes yes i am sorry about that (laughs) yeah so what do you got going on in atlanta
0: so well so we uh yeah if people get a minute they can just go to molly com, and there is a bunch of information about our negotiation training program there but you know we come in house we do public workshops um, and, and it's a, it's an eight hour program where we take people through a process that is incredibly powerful, um, on, on how to shift the perspective. And the promise is really simple, right? It's how do you, how do you close better deals faster and, and improve the relationship and people get up and, and the ratings are out of the, you know, out, out of the, I mean, I think our, our, ratings are like sitting at about a 9.4 from the on a, Ooh, on a one to nice. two scale.
2: That is nice. Yeah.
0: It's, it's incredible. And what we're seeing from the data is people are improving their relationships. They're, they're closing, they're, the quality of the deals is improving significantly with the clients that we're working with in the, and, they're, and they're closing them faster. And I always sort of joke with folks and say, if your teams could <laughs> you know, close a deal that normally takes six months and four, and it was better by 10%. And they drove connection throughout that process. Would that be good for your team? <laughs> and any <Hello>. <laughs> learning and development, I was right, they're like, ah, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Jedi so anyway, it's tricks. all
0: at mollyfletcher.com. But yeah, so then people can go to Game Changer 360 and take an assessment to our conversation earlier about the kind of negotiator you are. They can go, it takes like five minutes. They can take an assessment to figure out where, what kind of negotiator you know, are they, how are they showing
2: up? That's great. It's pretty cool. And you said that's yeah. gamechanger changer, dot again, game changer, dot but everything else, Molly Fletcher.com. You're, you're happy to send everybody there. And your team, by the way, is stellar. I mean, I've known a couple of those folks on there, but Every time I talk to you, it seems like you're adding more and more. You're just you, you are blowing up. It's so cool to watch your journey. Trying
0: to keep up with you, man. Get out of here! <laughs> Come on, on. I'm just she's to keep saying up the with right him. things. Yeah, <laughs> we like that. Well, also
1: <laughs> please check out um, Molly's podcast called Game Changers as well. It's it's uh, an amazing podcast that uh, we both listen to here, and so we're, we're, we always get so much out of uh, your interviews and and honestly the people that you get are, are the types of people that we aspire to so well, let's
2: be honest yeah we troll those guests right after they're on Molly. show right we try and
1: <laughs> we let them up. hit the
2: peak that's and we right. catch them on the way down on the way down <laughs> they,
1: need, they need a little
2: bit more love which is fine that's it Molly <laughs> we, I, I've known you again for, for many years and uh, honestly it's just a joy to, to watch you do your thing and uh, you know I'm going to get Brand to come watch you live that's the, the next thing for him and uh, we're always up in the atlanta area but honestly thank you so much for spending some time with us and giving us a a little nugget of wisdom
0: well it's a you guys are a blast it's super fun and congrats on what you guys are continuing to do and the impact you're making It's just awesome
2: oh it's a Uh, huge love fest here thank you so much you're the bomb and uh and we will talk with you soon